Buonadonna. Today I'm hanging out in a rather grand, echoey room at Celtic Manor in Newport, Wales. I'm behind the scenes at the Office of National Statistics Conference, Economic Statistics in a Digital Age, hoping to get a word with some of the speakers. The words economic statistics might conjure up visions of dull work carried out by boring people in dusty libraries where nothing exciting ever happens. Now, I'm not going to claim that the world of statistics is suddenly fraught with danger or fizzling with indiscretion. And yet, and yet, there is no doubt statisticians are facing a number of challenges. How do we measure the modern digital economy, for instance? Are the traditional statistical methods still up to the job? Once upon a time, only nation-states could collect a huge number of stats. Nowadays, Facebook knows about the habits and preferences of millions of people. There is a growing tension, in other words, between statistics as a public good, informing public policy, and privately collected, privately owned big data, which is used to sell people more stuff. But perhaps it's worth starting off with the most general, the most insidious challenge, ordinary people's growing mistrust of experts in a post-truth world. <laughs> John Pullinger is the UK national statistician. John, you have recently written about this very issue in a national newspaper. What was the gist of your argument? Yes, I think a challenge for us as statisticians um, in the kind of uh, macro sense is that we produce aggregates. What's happening to the labour market as a whole? And that is interesting for certain people. But if you're living a in a town where um, the biggest factory has just closed, if you're, living, if you're working in a job where your um, income is precarious, you're on a zero-hours contract, or you never quite know from one week to another whether you're going to be able to get a decent income for your family um, in the weeks ahead, then our numbers are not connecting with you. And I think a challenge for macro-statisticians is to break our numbers down so that they actually tell you what's happening in your town, in your community, and they give you a voice to challenge the things that you disagree with, to enable you to make the case for a better world and make the case for better decisions at the kind of local community and at the government level. Now you could argue that people nowadays have um, multiple sources of, of information and data and that can be incredibly empowering but also confusing. Yes, I think it can be confusing and there is um, an added effect that in the world of the internet we often live in little bubbles. We communicate with a particular community on social media we come across people typically who are rather like us. So there is a sort of echo chamber between um, our views being reinforced by other people that are like us. Now I think we all know that can be a bit of a trap because unless we understand what other people think, we are quite likely to be misguided, we're quite likely to be lured into a world um, that is not the reality, it's just a little bubble. Um, and therein lies quite a lot of danger for us. So a challenge that we have as statisticians is to communicate our findings in a way that pierces that bubble. It actually allows us to enter into the room where people actually are, allows us to speak in a language that people are speaking. Um, and I think there is a little bit of a wake-up call to the analytical community to present our findings in much more user-friendly ways. <laughs> Joe Grice is the former chief economist and chairman of the ONS Economic Experts. Joe, there is much talk about 
the modern economy and the digital age at this conference. But um, uh, to start off with, can you tell us what we mean by modern economy and how does our age differ from any other of the ones that preceded it when it comes to the challenge of collecting meaningful economic data? First of all, um, national accounting, in particular economic statistics, started off in an age where uh, the manufacturing sector production was much more important relative to the rest of the economy. Over the decades, we now have a service sector uh, producing services, not goods, uh, about four-fifths of the economy. So that's a, a change that's occurred gradually over time. Uh, but we also had some more uh, immediate changes. Uh, the one is uh, we've seen uh, an enormous increase, obviously, in the information technology available to us, uh, data production, vast amounts of data being produced, big data, uh, possibilities of using administrative data from various sources. Oddly enough, in spite of this apparent uh, increase in innovation, productivity figures suggest actually that the economy has not been becoming particularly more productive over the last decade or so. So a bit of a puzzle for us there. Uh, and going with that, uh, we're part of what's increasingly been a genuinely globalised economy. That is, our economy is very, very integrated with the rest of the, the world, uh, whether you're thinking in terms of um, uh, the ownership of um, uh, firms and assets, or whether you're thinking about um, uh, the mobility of capital, where people pay their taxes, all of these things. And, of course, increased migration as well, increased migration flows. What sort of themes are already emerging at this conference? I think the, the main themes for me are that these uh, challenges I've talked about are actually accompanied as well by opportunities. Uh, we have uh, a more complicated economy in many ways, mm. uh, a, a bigger service sector, as I said, but we also have uh, the ability to analyse this data uh, in a much more um, uh, powerful way. Uh, linking individual data records, for example, offers enormous opportunities, provided uh, we can do that consistently with protecting people's confidentiality, uh, very important uh, for, for all of us. What is at stake if we don't get this right? Why is it important to get this right? Well, as with all of the outputs we think we produce to ONS, they're really only of value if they help a decision-maker make a better decision. He makes his or her decision on the basis of good information rather than defective information. So whether you're talking about policy-making, national policy-making, uh, local service delivery, whether you're talking about uh, commercial decision-making, uh, how companies make their decisions, their investment decisions, hiring and firing decisions, and so on. So all of these decisions, we think, affect it uh, if we make uh, bad statistics, if the statistics are poor, then those decisions will be not be well-based. If we can produce good quality statistics, inform those decisions, then hopefully we'll be in a better place. I'm now joined by Professor Martin Wheel of King's College London. Martin, you just chaired a panel uh, which was examining whether the national accounts framework set up in the post-war era is still able to capture the modern economy. Let's start from first principles. Can you define for me what we mean by the national accounting framework? Yes, the national accounting framework was a framework developed actually in 1940-1941 to bring together the economic transactions of different groups of people in the country, so it shows the transactions between households and businesses and government, and consolidates things to produce 
an account showing the income of the nation as a whole and what the nation spends that money on. And that measures things in money terms. Of course, people, even 75 years ago, were used to the fact that prices went up quite a lot. So there's a separate branch of how you adjust these national accounts for changes in price. And that's obviously also a very important part of the framework. Now, has the framework changed at all in the intervening years? The framework inevitably has had to change because the structure that was set up reflected the structure of the time. In particular, businesses are classified to particular industries and the industries that were important immediately after the war, coal mining, shipbuilding, steel and so on, they still exist but uh, not on the same scale. At the same time, we have seen other industries become much more important than they were. Information, telecommunications and uh, communication more generally is one of those. So statisticians have needed to adjust to develop the techniques that they use to reflect this changing structure. So if there's been a sort of constant tinkering with it to make it, to make it up to date, uh, are we facing right now a particular moment of uh, uh, crisis as regards to the, to, to the framework? Does it have to be revised in a more dramatic fashion or is it just a case of sort of keep revising it? Well, some people, I think, take the view that life now is radically different from what it was 15 or 20 years ago, and they look at the use of the internet that uh, people make as, uh, no, as evidence for that. I suppose I think of how different the world was by the time my grandparents died from the world that they'd been born into. When they were born, there was no motor traffic apart from railways. Uh, before they died, people had flown to the moon. Uh, they had electricity at home and all sorts of things like that. They you know, didn't have to go out, well, they did actually still go out and get coal to light fires, <laughs> but all sorts of things like that had changed and people could live much more comfortable lives. So I think the still unresolved question is whether the development of the internet and everything that goes with it is just another example of the sort of change that the framework has taken in its stride, or whether it is actually something radically different. And yet there are people at this conference, including Professor Diane Cole from Manchester University, who's joining me now, who think that digital changes across the economy pose a real challenge to the framework. The way that digital technologies are changing the economy spreads into all kinds of areas, and individually you might think that they don't uh, uh, reflect any new conceptual problems, and we've had this kind of issue to think about before in statistics and how we think about the economy but they're so wide-ranging that actually I think they do add up to something quite significant. So, for example, we have people who are um, voluntarily at home writing open-source software, contributing to Wikipedia, uploading videos, all kinds of public goods that they are contributing. And people who would have bought proprietary software are now not doing that. They're switching to the open-source stuff. So that's one example. The question of what economists call the production boundary, which activities do you put in GDP and which do you not, isn't a new one, but we have this significant area of activity that is affecting the measurement of GDP. So that's one example. 
Another would be um, the kinds of free goods that you get from search online or um, advertising supported media online. Again, that's nothing new because television has been advertising supported for a long time. Um, but now we have this activity or uh, subscription and people are switching between business models so there are changes there in, that will affect the, the actual measurement of, of GDP. Then we have um, people do, uh, a lot of services that are affected by the fact that pe people can do them for themselves. You mm -hmm. can do your banking online or your travel agency online. Is that um, something that's being captured by the statistics because in a sense there's a new intermediary rather than the old high street travel agent it's a website that might be based overseas, so are we actually capturing the measurement? And um, people are paying lower prices. Are the price indices capturing um, the lower prices that you might now pay for accommodation on your holiday? And um, if you look at the path of uh, real GDP per hour worked, there's what economists call the productivity puzzle. So from around 2008, that line has been flat. There's been no gain in real productivity. If you look at nominal GDP per worker hour, just the amount of pounds in the economy per hour worked, that's, there's been a very little change in the trend. So there's a big wedge opened up there. And that suggests that actually measuring prices in the digital economy is, is really quite a big challenge. The concepts aren't new. The issues have been written about by economists since the 1990s, but the scale of this is really quite substantial now. And do you think this will entail a sort of throwing up of the entire framework and starting again, or do you, do you think they can tinker around with it? Uh, do you know, to be honest, I, I have an open mind about that. I don't really know. But I observe that all the interesting things that are going on at the moment, that all the changes in the economy, uh, and you might include um, measuring the environment better, environmental impacts better, all that's happening in what uh, national accounts economists call the satellite accounts. And if all the interesting stuff is happening in the satellites, you have to question, is the call the right thing anymore? <laughs> and now, you've written a number of successful books making economic analysis accessible and relevant. I'm thinking, for example, about GDP, a brief but affectionate history. Um, how important is it to engage people with the issue of economics, including giving them a better understanding of statistics? Oh, I think it's really important. And actually, economists need a better understanding of statistics, even in economics courses. Uh, statistics, the practicalities, how is GDP put together and what does it mean? That's just not taught really very much anymore. So I think it's, it's very important. And I'm passionate about communicating what economists do because economists are very powerful in public policy and I think we have an absolute uh, public responsibility to explain what we're doing. And the fact that academic economists haven't done that very well is partly why there um, has been the ability of people in public policy to say things that are actually just distortions of how economists work. The idea that there is a free market, for example, is an abstraction that doesn't mean anything. No academic economist thinks it's meaningful, but it still gets used in public policy debate. So we need to do a much better job of communication. And of course, as we were discussing earlier with John Pullinger, some people say we now live in a post-truth world where there is a real disconnect between people and experts. That's dangerous, isn't it? It is dangerous, and I think almost the most dangerous part is that uh, reality will one day catch up with um, the misunderstandings that people have because they're dismissing what the experts say. Finally, I get to sit down with Rebecca Riley, a colleague of mine and NISA, who was recently appointed director of the newly created Economic Statistics Centre of Excellence, ESCO. So, Rebecca, can you tell me a little bit about how ESCO came about? Well, ESCO is uh, an investment by the Office for National Statistics, and it's um, a direct response 
to some of the issues raised in the Bean Review. So the Bean Review um, was a review of economic statistics in the UK, uh, and um, a, a few points were made there. One, that uh, the evolving economy is such that we need to reevaluate uh, our economic statistics frameworks. Uh, another point is that um, there's a lot of data that isn't being used uh, to its full potential. Uh, and another issue is that um, economic statistics perhaps could better meet users' needs. For those reasons, Professor Sir Bean um, recommended that um, the ONS invest in an economic statistics centre of excellence who would have the um, capacity to not produce the economic statistics but to provide research that could feed into the production of economic statistics. How in practice are you setting up ESCO? So it's a partnership between um, a set of institutions based at NISER, but including um, Nesta, King's College London, Cambridge University, Work Business School at the University of Warwick, and Strathclyde Business School, including the Fraser Valander Institute. They're based in, in Scotland. So we have a um, research program that we've set out, which sort of maps our, the, the research we'll be undertaking in the first two years of the centre, the phase one of the centre, if you like. And it covers three broad areas. One is national accounts and beyond GDP. Uh, one is um, regional and labour market statistics, and another is productivity and the modern economy. And we've got four or five projects in each of those categories, uh, and, and we'll be delivering on them over the next year and the year, the year after. What will success look like for ESCO? What, uh, what, what, what do you hope you've achieved in five to ten years' time? Well, we, we would like to think we've made a um, difference to the production of economic statistics. I mean, we're, we're at the one end of the production line, if you like. We're producing research and development, which um, hopefully will lead to some recommendations we can make uh, about how economic statistics might be compiled. Um, and we would, of course, hope that some of those recommendations were taken on board and led to better statistics. And this is all we have time for, I'm afraid. They say a good podcast is made up of 30% humour, 50% original material, and 20% cool people who know their stuff. No, they don't actually say that. I've made it up. But I've certainly given it 110%, so I do hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to listen to more, please subscribe to Nisa's podcasts on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Goodbye for now.